It's Wednesday, baby. I know y'all thought I was in L.A. I know you thought I was in L.A., but I'm here back in New York City. It ain't just because my man Doggy Dog is in the house. Nice blazer, by the way. Not bad. It's not just because my man Swagoo is on carry. You see him give me the thousand dollars. You see me give me oh, the thousand dollars. He gave it to me on live national television. He gave that to me. I got this tablecloth sitting right next to me too. But the biggest reason it's I'm here in New York City, I had to make sure to get the red eye because the commission himself, the one and only Adam Silver for the National Basketball Association. He in the house, y'all. He in the house. First take is here too. You know what time it is. Let's roll. Back to throw Sua. Looking. Fires he found the right side. He's got Tyreek. Touchdown Miami. To a timely kill from Tua Tangalaya I seen the camera, you know, and I just took it from him. It was unbelievable. I, I didn't even know he backflipped. I didn't get to see it until I looked on the jumbo turn. I know the NFL is going to find me for it, but it's worth it, though, you know, to create memories I can look back on whatever I'm done playing about. Good day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into First Take. I'm Molly Karam. That's Christopher Mad Dog Russo, Stephen A. Smith, Marcus Spears. No, 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 no. Today's a very special day. Hold on. You don't know what I was going to say. Do you know what I was going to say? Happy birthday. Happy birthday Happy. to you. We don't have Thank you. We don't have right. to the birthday song. Please don't say no. 64 today. You 64? look great. 64? You look amazing. Not bad for You look 64. like a million bucks. Well, look, at that. This, look at the sport coat, the crocheted tie. Like you, you put are. it all. Who put that together Oh, Miss, Mrs. Rousseau put it together Did she today. put it together? Yes, she did. I said she last night, Jeannie, put it together here properly. And you know what she said? She said, the birthday boy, I'm going to really bring my A game. And, that she, she, and, she, and she sent out the Instagram, and she called you probably to give it's you this information. It's on Instagram, too. Excuse me. I had it in my calendar. Oh, you did? It was your birthday. She did text me, but I already had it in my calendar. She didn't know. I didn't get me. Marcus, Marcus, so what you doing Marcus. today? What, what you, you doing today, today man, dog? Well, I got to work with you, Marcus, number one. I have to work with Stephen A. Listen to Mr. Silver. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going to, uh, today, I'm going to get on that train. Tonight, I got my new Kenny Albert book. I'm going to relax, follow a little NBA Sports Illustrated preview, get home, and I got the Astros in Texas. And if I play my cards right, okay. bed by 10 o'clock. That's my birthday. That sounds like a fantastic day. <laughs> hey, Swagoo, you know what I find interesting? They're both Libras. They're both the same sign. Yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense. Makes a lot Makes a lot of sense. sense. Before I move on, Swagoo, yeah. what's your sign? I'm a Pisces, March oh. 8th. Okay. I'm March 2. Aries, yep. fire sign. You know what it is. Hey, Let's hey, go. You know, All right. You know. Spe <laughs> Speaking of lighting it up, Tyreek Hill had another monster game Sunday and is on pace for more than 2,000 yards receiving as the Dolphins blew out the Panthers and improved to 5-1 and one. yesterday on the show. Stephen A. Smith had some very high praise for the Cheetah. When we look at what we're seeing from him right now, Talk to me about Randy Moss. Talk to me about Jerry Rice. And ask this question. What receiver would you rather have on your NFL squad if you are a quarterback or you are a head coach with Tyreek Hill at his best yes. compared to the greatest? I'm talking T.O. I'm talking Moss. I'm talking Rice. I'm talking all the throw the Marvin Harrisons in there. Throw, throw the, go back in the day, Lynn Swan, John Stowell, all these people. Go back to all of them, okay? I've never seen anything like this. 
All right, Chris, do you agree with Stephen A. that Tyreek Hill is already among the all-time great wide receivers? Well, he somehow forgot Don Hudson. Well, I don't know how you did that Green Bay in a late oh, late oh, my Lord. He was great. Yeah, we you, all remember him from the late what? Late what? Uh, 30s and 40s. Late 30s oh, he was and great. 40s, yeah. You cannot compare him to Jerry Rice. What, are you kidding me? Rice is an 11-time All-Pro. You know how many yards receiving he had? 22,000. 22,895. How many touchdowns? 222? Uh, 22 touchdowns. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's had uh, 500. I'm sorry. I apologize. 197 touchdowns. He got 197 touchdowns. He's 11-time All-Pro. He played 20 seasons. Mm -hmm. He was a Super Bowl MVP. Stop fixing your tie. Right. He's a Super Bowl MVP, and you're going to sit there. Listen, he's a nice little player, Hill, nice and he's fast. Player. A nice little player. He is fast. He's fast. He's more fast. than a nice little player. He's a good player. player. I'm not going to dispute that. Yeah. Don't is he an immortal? No. Here a little list, okay? Here are the top five players in the history of the NFL okay, don't give outside me of quarterback. No, only after the, the 70s. Oh, no. right, fair. Okay, don't go 30s. Well, Jim Brown. I got to give you Jim Brown. Okay, fine. Walter Payton. Keep going. Lawrence Taylor. Yep. Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm putting him in. Forget the quarterbacks. You are putting him in that kind of category. Do you put Tariq Hill in the top five players in the well, history of the NFL? Tyreek. Tariq, Tyreek, he's great. <laughs> I mean, no. Tyreek. Do you put him there, Stephen? No, you no, do no. not. So I know you're trying to get me a little agitated today. Mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. Right. That's absurd. Okay. That's ridiculous. Well, first of all, let me let me break this down. First of all, if you're going to watch the show, watch the show, okay? Don't just sit up there and take cliff notes or take a, a, a couple of sentences and ignore what the hell I said. Here's what I said, Swagoo. Here's what I said yesterday on national television with my man Shannon Sharp sitting right next to me in L.A. This is exactly what I said. I said, looking at Tyreek Hill at this stage and point in his career right now, I'm not talking about the totality of his career, even though in the seven seasons that he's been in the league, he's had over 1,000 receiving yards, five of those seven years. He's electrifying. He's considered the fastest player in the National Football League, runs at about 24 miles per hour, for crying out loud. This brother waves goodbye to the competition before throwing up deuces when he's scoring touchdowns and stuff like that. What I said, doggy, is this. As electrifying as he is at this stage and point right now, what receiver right now would you have rather have would you rather have had? I'm just talking about in the moment. Of course, nobody compares to Jerry Rice of, in terms of totality, number of receiving yards, number of receptions, number of touchdowns. We all know how spectacular he's the greatest ever. Randy Moss, as far as I'm concerned, is number two all time. I got T.O. up there, top three, possibly uh, likely top five. I think argument could be made he's top three all time. But when you look at what you're seeing from Tyreek Hill Right now, 814 receiving yards, the speed, the elusivity with which he puts on display, how he has defenses panicking, going through fright night for crying out loud at the thought of trying to figure out how to defend him because you could throw a three-yard dip and dunk pass and this brother could take it to the house. We saw him do it in the postseason against the Buffalo Bills years ago in that epic divisional playoff game encounter. We've seen what he can do. Who would you rather have? In a moment right now, looking at Tyreek Hill play the way that he's playing. Yep. I know the resume doesn't compare, but from a talent perspective and what he brings to the table at this moment. Excuse me, real, real quick, moment. Marcus, before you go, producers don't kill me. It's time sensitive. What's your favorite kind of cake? Chocolate. Chocolate and chocolate? Yeah. 
Okay, we can continue. I'm working on something. Then you obviously are. Okay. Yeah, time sensitive. Best bakery in the city. Keep going. <clears throat> All right, Swagoo, your turn. Stephen A., I'm, 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 I'm actually disappointed in you. I think you caught in the moment. And you usually don't get caught in the moment when we have in these type of conversations. I agree with you about Tyreek Hill's ability and the, the speed and the quickness. And we all understand that Tyreek Hill is going to lead his game as one of the most prolific wide receivers that we've seen from that standpoint. But, bro, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, and T.O.? Yes. You can't put him in that category, S.A. Like, this is – those three dudes in the league now would have 2,500 yards receiving. Yeah. Could you imagine Randy Moss in the NFL right now? Or a T.O. in the NFL right now at this moment, the way that they play football, the amount of passes that they throw. These dudes did this when the league was still heavy run. When, when you weren't getting 150 catches a season, mm. when you didn't have guys that were super athletic to extend plays like these quarterbacks do now. I understand what you're saying from what we're seeing from Tyreek Hill. He's electric. He's dynamic. And I think it's hard to have these conversations because people think you down talking on Tyreek Hill. But when you say those three names, you know the visceral reaction that people are going to have. When you ask me who would I rather have now as opposed to Tyreek Hill and what he's doing now, Jerry Rice, T.O. and Randy Moss, in this, in this league, in these offenses, with these quarterbacks that they're playing with right now, I would take all three before I took Tyreek Hill. Okay, but let me ask you this question. Why are y'all ignoring the, the, the elements of what I'm trying to explain? I'm not trying to say that in totality you look at those three and you sit up there and say Tyreek Hill is on their level. That's not what I'm going at. You look at Jerry Rice and his route running ability, his pass catching ability, the same with T.O. and obviously Randy Moss just throws his hand up, throw it. You understand? I'll go get it. I'm not open, but I'm always open. We understand what Randy Moss brings to the table. I'm saying to you, you still need dudes to throw them the football, all right? I'm looking at a guy like Tyreek Hill. I can throw a screen pass and he can take it to the house. I'm talking about how electrifying his talent is at this particular moment in time. I'm not talking about comparing him to them I as an overall talent, Swaggoo. I'm saying, well, what you're yeah. seeing from him in the age that we're living in, the rule changes that have taken place with the speed that he brings to the table. He was a kick returner and a punt returner. He wasn't just a receiver. You literally can throw. You can have a quarterback. Let's take an example. Let's think about what we were saying about Zach Wilson until a few, uh, you know, until a couple of weeks ago. Think about how we've talked about him. Think about how we talked about Ryan Tannehill. Think about how we've talked about some other quarterbacks that were less than stellar. And you're talking about a quarterback that can literally drop back and throw a screen pass. And this brother can do the kind of things that few, if anybody in but the game insane. can do. I'm just saying to you when you look at his talent. See here. That's what I find in the moment. His resume does not compare yet. That's not what I'm talking about. Nope, me neither. And I think this is why you have gotten too far away from what we saw T.O. Randy Moss and Jerry Rice do. We saw Randy Moss catch screens and go to the house. We saw T.O. catch hitches turn around and go 80. Like, the, the, those dudes had that in their bag. The one thing you could argue – uh, about Jerry Rice is the speed, but 
Jerry never got caught for some reason. But when we start talking about catching a screen pass, and when we start talking about dynamic and electric off of a three-yard or five-yard pass, I know T.O. and Randy Moss is thought of, as should be, as the deep ball catchers that they were and the guys that could take the top off of defense. These dudes were electric with the football in their hands, man. I'm not saying they were Off little short throws. They can't beat the top but three that's what I'm in the history of the game if that were not the case. But we have to acknowledge but that Stephen we are – seeing things from Tyreek Hill that we have rarely seen in NFL history. Here is your problem with the and argument. what I'm saying is we would see those from them in today's NFL. I think you might. I think Swagoo's right. Okay. Here's your problem, okay. Steve. The Chiefs won a Super Bowl without him. Okay. If he's that great, how come the Chiefs, when he left to go to Miami, didn't miss a beat and won a Super Bowl? Well, I, listen, you can look at it that way, doggy. But I'm like – that doesn't take away from the greatness that he puts on the field. I think it's a fact. They do have Patrick Mahomes. I think it's a fact. They do have Patrick they Mahomes. They have Pacheco running the football. You did have Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy calling yeah. plays. When you did have Travis Kelsey there. I mean, I mean, that's how they won. But your discussion of him made it seem like he was irreplaceable. Because no, that's no, no, what no, historical I, greatness I, I, means. I, I, I did not, but I didn't go there. What I was talking about, his talent – at this point where he's on pace, do you understand that he's on pace, averaging 19.4? Oh, he's okay. great. He's I'm not on arguing pace that. To, to register 2,300 receiving yards. That has never been done. Yeah. And I'm saying because of that, how can we not sit up there and ask this question? Like, what receiver would you rather have at this particular moment in time, the way that he looks? It's not a far-fetched question, yeah. fellas. All right, we're going to leave it there. It's your birthday, right? Yes. Don Hudson is the only player with more receiving yards through six games than Tyreek Hill. How about All the that? way back in 1940. Happy birthday, Matt. That, and you're That's knocking you, me on these receivers? Did you hear what, did you hear what tablecloth you, just over here? Right. Listen, Listen I'm having a cake delivered for you. So if the producer oh, was funny. Is I aware, that was gonna funny. Happen. Yeah. That is a – what year was that? 1942. Do you need anything else from me? 42. He's got – in 1942, you're knocking it. Don't play. They don't throw the ball. I'm not going to Think about that for a minute. What was his other job? If I can recall the – What was his other job? As opposed to Martin Lawrence or somebody, you can recall Don. Uh, you can do that. You can do that. What was his other job, Mad Dog? What he did? What he, he did after football season? Back. He played both ways. He played both ways. He was a DB. Anyway, I get the point about Stephen with the speed okay. and his. This segment was over. That was the wrap. Oh, okay. That was the wrap. I that was the tag on the segment. I'm a little when crazy I give today. The note, that's little when crazy. we move on. Okay, that's just how it works in TV, right? Okay. Hey, I'm Molly Karam, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Brought to you by the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited double miles on every purchase every day, and you can use those miles on any travel purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. 
Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, hey, I'm Molly Karam, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-time chimney sweepers, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com to sign up today. Claim based on the total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Thanks so much for listening to the First Take Pod. Have a fabulous day. Coming up, Cowboys won, Eagles lost this week. Dallas is 4-2 now, and Philly is 5-1 as the NFC East is starting to take shape. Here's what Stephen A. had to say about all of it. Let's flash back to Friday. What does it mean if Jalen Hurts doesn't answer the call? Last year, he was a league MVP candidate. This year, he has been average. The fact that Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott could be mentioned in the same category based on their performance over this early part of the season, as far as I'm concerned, evens the scales to some degree with the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, at least momentarily. Wow! What happened last night? Did you run into Dak and Tad Prescott yeah, at that, that game? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I was in the suite. I was in the suite. Okay. That was yesterday. Swagoo, our former Cowboy, I'll start with you. Are the Cowboys as good as the Eagles? No. No, they're not right now. And I know what just happened with the Philadelphia Eagles, and I understand that the Cowboys got a W against the Los Angeles Chargers, and I want to give them credit for that. I thought Dak played his best game because he turned into a playmaker as opposed to just trying to execute the offense, which he did at a very high level. But I thought he was a playmaker. I think that Dak Prescott makes Dallas competitive in mostly every game that they play in, minus any mistakes. Now, they still had a bunch of penalties in that game, and I don't think you can do that against the Philadelphia Eagles. Stephen A. has a point. And the more and more I thought about after I answered this question coming into today, Jalen Hurts is playing, playing fine. He's not playing well. And there's a difference in the expectation that we expect from Jalen. And obviously we saw the interception against the New York Jets at the end. The, the first two, uh, but the last one was, was very, very bad. And it just doesn't seem like this offense is in sync like we expected it to be, and especially how it was last year. I think Dak Prescott against the Chargers, I'm talking about the individual, makes Dallas a lot closer to Philly than they sh than, than we would think they are, but I still would take Philly in a head-to-head matchup against the Cowboys as of right now. Oh, you have to. Uh, and and Swagoo's 100% right. That was the best I've seen Dak Prescott on the road in a long He outplayed Herbert, and we've been – praising Herbert like crazy. He did not play well, and Dak did a good job. But Dallas makes it yep. so hard on themselves. They screw up at the end of the half. They should have gone to throwing the ball in the end zone. So many penalties, yep. a muff punt. I mean, I know they won the game, and they did. A, and Prescott played really well. Give him a lot of credit. But uh, did, you, did you walk out of that game thinking that Dallas could win a championship? I didn't walk out of that game thinking that. Mm -hmm. And here's the Eagles situation on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know why they lost? Sirianni totally screwed the game up. Third and nine. 
Swagoo, how are you throwing the ball when the Jets don't have any timeouts left and the ball's at the 46-yard oh, line? 146 to go. Run the ball, punt, and let's see if Zach Wilson from the 10-yard line can go 60 yards and kick a field goal. Hertz had been playing badly, and he throws the ball there. Mm-hmm. That was, so to me, the Eagles' just loss is almost about a one sequence than it is about overall play. And then at the end of the game, why did they let the Jets score? There's no reason to let the Jets. Did you see it? Yes. How do you let the Jets score there? Make the tackle, call your timeouts, let him kick the field goal, and then you're going down the field with a minute left and you got a great field goal kicker. Philly totally screwed the game up. Mm -hmm. And because they lost and Dallas was fortunate to win, I'm not ready to do what you do and make this incredible leap of faith and put Dallas and Philadelphia's class. Last week you're killing them. You're smoking cigars. (laughs) You're walking in here with a hat on. They lose to Dallas (laughs) 42-10. And now you got him up there. There is one of the best teams in the NFC, right. and they can go to the Super Bowl. Now, that's ridiculous, well, Steve. Well, first of all, that's ridiculous. First of all, here's why it's not ridiculous. It's fluid. It's fluid. Okay, so let's get that out the way first. It's fluid. That's number one. Number two, Mad Dog Russo, it puts Swaggo up there because it's just the truth. It's just fluid. You, know, you keep missing that point. That's a very important element that you got to fluid, okay? But number two, and more importantly, Doggy, I mean, This is one of the worst arguments you've ever made in your history on first take. And I'm going to tell you why. Because what you did is made my argument for me without me opening my mouth. You talked about Hurts being bad, and you talked about the coach being bad. Well, wouldn't that be two reasons why the Dallas Cowboys got a shot? I'd say so. I mean, if the coach don't know what the hell he's doing, and he loses a game for you, and if the quarterback is struggling, by the way, three and seven and ten starts when being pressured more than 40% of the time. That's a good stat. 25 and five when he's pressured less than 40% of the time. Good stat. What is one of the things that the Dallas Cowboys do on a very elite level? Pressure the damn quarterback. So if pressure in the quarterback is their specialty and, spe- and being pressured is an Achilles heel for this quarterback this particular season, more so than it was last season because he had his offensive coordinator who's now a head coach, the bottom line is, is that that would serve as an impediment to the success that the Eagles are hoping to achieve. That's where I'm coming from. I didn't sit up there and uh, say uh, they got they, you can look at mm-hmm. Javon, Javon Carter and you can look at Fletcher Cox and you can look at Graham and you can look at Hassan Reddick and those boys and it don't matter. I didn't say that. I didn't sit up there and say that the Eagles' number two rushing attack don't matter, that A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith don't matter, that Dallas got it doesn't matter, that the health of Lane Johnson doesn't matter. What I said was, you got a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who I love dearly and I believe in. That's my bro. You know that. But the bottom line is he ain't getting it done right now to the degree that we saw him get it done last season because he has been allergic to productivity when you've got a pass rush coming his way. And the Dallas Cowboys, if nothing else, can get to the quarterback. And Sirianni, he's got to step up and he's got to show up as well because he's got – He's got neither coordinator that he had in the Super Bowl last year. That, to me, would make sense as to why the Dallas Cowboys are sitting there chirping at the heels of the Philadelphia Eagles. You can't run away with it because of those things that I highlighted. I didn't highlight them. You did. Am I lying? 
San Francisco beat them 42 to 10. You're walking in there having a party. Now they beat the Chargers and they're the best team in the NFC. I didn't say they were. That's a ridiculous report. No, I did not say they were the best team. What I said was they can't run away from the Cowboys. Don't change the narrative. I know you like to do that on Mad Dog Radio, but not on First Take, baby. We don't do that here. You're going to stick with the narrative. The fact of the matter is the question was about the Cowboys on the same level as the Eagles. I didn't say they were the best team in the league. I don't find the Eagles to be the best team in the league. You saw my eight list yesterday. I had the Eagles at five. I didn't have them at one. So the point that I'm trying to make to you is that they're not the best team. That is not the subject. Don't change the question. Oh, I do have the Eagles. I had the Eagles at five. Don't act like you didn't know because you watched first take like yeah, everybody else. Yeah, but cocktail else. before that. How does you the really listen. feel like any NFC team? It's still Philly and San Francisco. You feel Molly. that way? Yes. Still? Here Even with yes. all the injuries? Oh, San Francisco yes. No, yes, yes. Debo's hurt. They lost the kid missed a 41-yard field goal. He's got to make that, that kick. That'd be 6-0. That's okay. not the question. The question The question is outside of the fact that how good you and I look today, outside of that, the question of Swagoo was this. My argument was pretty smooth, wasn't it? It was pretty smooth, wasn't it? Tell, tell, tell. No, Stephen, tell they, they not tell on the same level. All right, I got to go. Get ready for Adam Silver, man. Yeah, I got to go. Get Speaking of smooth. Hey, I'm Molly Karam, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. Have you ridden an electric bike yet? Well, you need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to more exploring time outside on their bikes. So they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range for up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome. So you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Hey, Molly Karam here, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. When you're on a business trip, you know what goes completely off the rails? Your workout routine especially when you book a hotel that doesn't have a gym. So what ends up happening is you do a few push-ups, sit-ups in your room, run around the block, or you just skip it entirely. Lame. If you just stay at La Quinta by Wyndham, you'll discover there's a fully equipped fitness center at every location. Now you can wake up, power your buys, your tries the right way, or de-stress with a little cardio. The choice is yours. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ. Welcome back. Is there a better time in sports? The NBA season kicks off in less than a week when the defending champs, the Denver Nuggets, taking on LeBron and the Lakers, followed by Steph and the Warriors taking on the new-look Phoenix Suns, led by the trio of KD Booker and newly acquired Bradley Beal. With a number of new changes this season, including an in-season tournament, we have a very special guest. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver live in studio to break it all down with Stephen A. S.A., take it away. Thank you, Molly. 
Honor and privilege to have the one and only Adam Silver here in attendance with us. Thank you for being here, first of all. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, I just want to get right to it. I'm thinking about last, last season, and the NBA set records for total attendance, average attendance, percentage of capacity, and sellouts. 22.2 million total fans in attendance, 70, 791 sellouts, an average attendance of 18,077, 97% capacity. Those are the numbers that I have. It would seem like the NBA is in a fantastic position looking on the outside in. Tell us how you feel about where you guys are right now. I, thanks for reading all those <laughs> statistics. No, we're in a great position. I think from an attendance standpoint, as you said, almost you can't fit more people in our arena, so there's not a lot of growth that will come there. I mean, we're always, you know, hats off to our teams and proving the experience. You go to a lot of games. You know, everything's gotten better from the food to the way, you know, the hospitality, everything along lines there. But so really then it's about media. Um, of course, you and your folks at ESPN are our, our partners, have been for many years. And I think what we're seeing now is this transition where people first look to their phones, you know, rather than to televisions these days. These days. So the question is, how can we do a better job presenting our games to people, particularly a younger audience that lives on their phone as opposed to being in front of a television? And I think it's not just taking those same call to stream that's on conventional television, moving it to your phone. It's taking advantage of all the functionality that comes with personalization, customization, alerts, um, the engagement that comes through fantasy, betting, you know, merchandising, all of that will be part of the experience uh, going forward and all on a global basis. You guys have been in the news a lot over the last few weeks, particularly when it came to the player participation policy. Obviously, there were rules changes or some things that were implemented to address concerns about players treating the regular season with the level of priority you guys would like. Speak to that for a second in, play, in terms of the player participation policy, the reason you felt the need for it, and how you think it's going to work. Absolutely. You know, and in fairness to our players, it was, much, it was as much a team issue as a player issue. And I understand it. I think in the day and age of analytics, teams, and we're seeing this in all sports, they become laser-like focused on the ultimate prize, which, which is winning the championship. And then they're willing to sacrifice, in essence, in some cases, fan interest during the regular season because, at least from their standpoint, they had data that was showing them that if they rested players tactically, strategically at certain games, they would be better off. I think, one, we're hearing loud and clearly from our fans, the media as a proxy for the fans, that people are disappointed. I mean, I put aside those terrible stories of, you know, a family going to the game, but I think even in terms of where, where it really scales, uh, from a media standpoint, if we expect people to care about our regular season, our players and our teams have to be fully invested in being out there. And as Joe Dumars, you know, our head of basketball operations, has said, we've got to reinforce the fact we're an 82-game league. You can almost hear Joe say it, you know, 82-game league. And the expectation is, is that if players are healthy, they will play. And as I said, that's not just directed to our players. It's directed at our teams, our general managers. Everyone in the organization has to understand that this is a fan-first business, that particularly because of some of the media changes we talked about, that you know, we're moving less away from sort of a bundle environment where you just pay one price and you get everything. Mm -hmm. This notion that I'm only going to pay for what I want. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's also a response to the marketplace, a realization that in order to keep our business going, we have to constantly be putting our best foot forward. And that's where 
the notion of a play-in tournament came from. I'm sure the in-season tournament we'll talk about, which, which is new this season. Just things to create more excitement throughout the regular season. But as you said, I think sometimes there's a notion that it's, it, something's very broken. I don't agree with that at all. As you started with the, the, the data on what we're seeing in terms of attendance, all-time record attendance. So the fans are also telling us they love this product, the coverage we have around the clock. I think this is more a little bit around the edges because by all means, and again, going back to Joe Dumars, during his day, he'll tell stories. A lot of players you and I know well, former players, played when they shouldn't have been playing. And there's, there's no attempt here to turn the clock back. We're not looking for guys to play through injuries. We're just looking for guys to recognize that, you know, we got to be focused on the fans and that if you're healthy, you may be a little bit banged up. The expectation is you'll play even, and I, and I think this gets a little bit confused too. There's what Joe Dumars has out, out been saying recently, it's sort of the headline is load management doesn't work. I think what we're, we've learned is it doesn't necessarily work in terms of injury prevention, but there's no question that if you're playing in the, back, the, the second game of a back-to-back, there's diminished performance to a certain degree to the extent guys are tired or you know, they've been playing multiple games on the road. Their performance will dip a little bit, but it's still the expectation that if you're not going to hurt yourself, you've got to be out there. What about the player, whether directly or indirectly, that looks at it and says, it's being perceived as if, as if it's our fault. I know you just alluded to it not always being the fault. You're not directing it at just the players. You're directing it at the teams because covering the league, you know team doctors, the guys in the analytics department, they collaborate with one another. They may come to the conclusion that a player may not need to play. They may make that decision for the player, and the player has to capitulate to whatever they suggest, and the players are taking the heat for it. You had a lot of people out there, particularly with Kawhi Leonard along with others, that were – they sort of gave the impression they were taking heat that was undeserved. What do you say to the players? What do you say to the public about the players when it comes to that? I say that we have this incredible partnership with the Players Association. Tamika Tremalio is the you know, executive director, CJ McCollum now as the president. And when we came together in collective bargaining and to talk about this issue, there wasn't a lot of dissent in the room. You know, we agreed to the 65-game minimum. That's sort of a separate issue in terms of being eligible for awards. But I hope nobody thinks that means there's an expectation guys will only play 65 games. That takes into account injuries, sometimes long, you know, multiple-game injuries throughout the season. So we landed on that. But again, within the room, I think there was a consensus that this is a joint issue, you know, call it, you know, team right. league, team player issue, and that there's, there's a little bit of fault you know, for everybody, I would say there are some cases, I think, particular, particularly with younger players, I'd say it's less about a veteran player issue where to the extent they come into the league and it seems to be the norm that the expectation isn't that we have an 82 game, 82 game uh, uh, season. I think we had to reset there. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I, you know, I say more directly, we're not saying this is a player only issue. We're saying that for the entire league, we all need to come together. And again, as Joe Dumars says, you know, we are an 82 game league. And, and the other issue comes up, should the, should the season be shorter? And none of us believe that. None of the data supports that. As I was saying, back to this issue about load management, we don't see more injuries later on in the season. We don't see guys aren't more likely to be injured after they've played 40 games as opposed to the first week of the season. There, I mean, unfortunately, injuries happen. I think we've invested an enormous amount 
the, the league, the teams, the players association, individual players in the best training, the best approach. We, we do, I think, a much better job sharing best practices. We've always done that in the business side, but I think a quarter of the players in the league switch teams this yeah. summer. So it's, it's a recognition that that's not a place to build a competitive advantage. Everyone around the league has an interest in guys staying healthy. So, so just again, I think this is, this is something we're all approaching collectively. And by the way, my sense is our work isn't done. We'll see how this goes. It's nice to announce a policy. I mean, clearly it's very objective in terms of the 65 games for eligibility for awards. But, you know, I think when we get into it with our players and our teams this year, let's see how it works in practice. We, ne- we may need to reinforce this principle in certain ways. But, but again, I, I, you know, I, the, the fans are, are speaking loud and clearly, our media partners, they want to see our best players on the floor. And, and incidentally, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult burden for them in some cases because we have 450 players in this league, all of whom... Many of the ones who aren't even starters were the best ever at right. their high schools, the best ever, you know, in, in, as state champions. So I don't mind the fact that we're seeing more talent, sort of the talent spread around the league, and we're seeing more minutes for other players. So it may not be a return right. to the old days where I think Michael Jordan over, averaged over 40 points a game. You know, so we recognize those days are probably over, but at least play and don't disappoint the fans. In-season tournament. Big-time subject involving the NBA. You were excited about this. This is something that you wanted. Speak to that for a second about what you think this is going to mean for the league and why its implementation you felt was necessary. So, so it's something that you and I have been talking about for a long, long time, yeah. um, that it's been, these concepts have been floating around the league for a while. I'd say they, they originated, I think, more in, in European soccer in particular, where if you take the English Premier League, you know, everybody wants to ultimately win the championship, but there are multiple cups throughout the year. I, there's a little bit of analogy, I think, sometimes in, in college sports, you see there may be a Thanksgiving tournament or a holiday tournament. And I think for those tournaments, players get up for them. They want to win them. It's not the same as winning the NCAA championship, but it's exciting. And I think here this notion was, could we take games that are already part of the regular season, redesignate a set of games as in-season tournament games, mm-hmm. and then c- create a separate competition around them? In, in our case, what we ultimately came up with was a tournament that culminates in Las Vegas with, in essence, a, a, a Final Four-type format. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, and not back to this issue about you know, player resting. We had a bunch of different concepts, but we ultimately decided, I mean, really with the exception of the very last game of the in-season tournament, that's the only additional game, an 83rd game for those two teams. Okay. But for the other players, we recognized they're already playing a lot of basketball. It's a long season. It didn't make sense to then you know, add on a whole separate tournament. But to take existing games, create some new excitement around them, you'll see the floor will be different. The guys will be wearing different uniforms. I, I think traditions aren't created overnight. I, I, you know, I, I'm hearing, though, a lot of buy-in throughout the league. I think guys are getting excited about it. And, and again, this isn't a replacement for the Larry O'Brien trophy. This okay. is just but – it's, but as also a lot of general managers and players have pointed out to me, it's a very long season where there are opportunities only to win – one trophy. Now, that trophy, Larry O'Brien, that's why guys play. But I'm hopeful that people will say, but hey, if I can go out and win this in-season tournament, get this, what we're calling as the NBA Cup, that'll be meaningful. Why in November as opposed to February? A good question. I mean, we bet, you know, in fact, you may recall, uh, if we were doing this interview last year, we would have been calling it the mid-season tournament. Okay. So we, 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 we pivoted to in-season tournament. I think it had as much to do with where it made sense in the schedule. Um, frankly, you know, it, it, as 
looking at where All-Star fits, sort of looking at the, the, the run-up to the playoffs. I think where we saw was that sort of November, December, that that was a time of year where people were still very focused on the NFL, understandably, um, that traditionally a lot of people thought we didn't really get going till you know Christmas Day. Right. And so this was an opportunity to take a portion of the season that hadn't, again, hadn't historically attracted as much attention. Sports fans, you know, many of our fans are, of course, fans of other sports as well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on at college football, too. College basketball is starting and say, let's create some more excitement around, you know, these six weeks or so. So that's that's why we landed on sort of November to mid-December. But again, you know, one thing about this, I, I, I hope you know with the NBA, you know, we're, we're willing to adjust and change. Yes. And so part of what I'm saying to people, because I've already heard, well, what about this? What have you tried doing something a little bit differently here? I'm saying, let's start. Let's 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 go all in. Let's play it this season, and then let's see. Let's let's stop. You know, analyze how it did, and then if we need to make some adjustments, time of year included, we will. You and I have talked on many occasions, Adam. You know, the one thing that I've been critical about is all, is All Star Weekend. I thought the slam dunk contest. I mean, I, I've gotten on players a big time about that. Um, the the game itself. I've seen guys playing harder during summer league competition as opposed to NBA All Star Weekend, considering how exceptionally great they are. Any concerns at all about All-Star Weekend? Any modifications you guys have thought about in terms that may need to be made? Yeah, well, well, first of all, you know me. I have concerns about everything. Yes, you do. You know, That's it's, true. It's like thanks for the makeup under my eyes. It's like, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about how we can improve. There's no doubt that, well, the All-Star Weekend, where you're always there, is quite a spectacle. And yes. it's, I'm always sort of laughing because... Before the game even starts on Sunday afternoon, people are saying, this is the best ever. <laughs> like, oh, we got this game. You know? And right. I think, you know, I'll take some fault for that because when you're there this year in Indianapolis, you know, beginning essentially Thursday night and then through Sunday, I think it's an opportunity for this whole global basketball community to come together, mm -hmm. great legends of the great game, not just the All-Stars, but lots of players. I don't know how it works in other sports, but, but we have, you know, dozens and dozens of players in the league who choose to come to All-Star Weekend for the activities yeah. for various events who, who aren't even All-Stars. So I think we've lost sight a bit that it's about the game at the end of the day. Again, you know, Joe Dumars is our you know, relatively new head of basketball operations, is very focused on it. We're looking at some potential changes in format in Indianapolis this year. I think that Indiana... Can you, what, can you give us a hint about what some of those changes you may know, be? You know, you, you know, maybe a, a, turn, a return to something more traditional in mm -hmm. terms of how the teams are um, uh, presented. You know, we went to sort of this captain draft notion, mm -hmm. but... Clearly, historically, it was East versus West, so you know that that's something we are looking at. Um, maybe, maybe a bit of breaking news. So, but but also, a lot of it comes down to, I think, reinforcing with our players and our teams how important this is for the fans. I, and again, I, one thing I just add, you know, one thing I've learned and, and is that, particular with our players, they're very coachable, and that you can't take for granted, particularly young players come into the league, mm -hmm. that they understand the generations of, and, and traditions that came before them. And I think this is where the league has to reinforce. This isn't, we don't expect playoff intensity, but we expect a competitive game for our fans. And that's what All-Star is. Have you thought about entertaining at all the possibility of American players versus international players, considering the fact that almost a third of the NBA players are from someplace other than the United States? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we have, and that's something we're going to continue to look at. I mean, 
think about the Ryder Cup and how popular that is. Mm -hmm. The issue, and it's not unsolvable, is as you said, if, if moving towards a third of the players are born outside of the United States, and on one hand, you pick from a pool that was called 75% of the players were born in the U.S. and 25% were international, it would be unfair because you'd have a much greater chance of being an international all-star than a domestic all-star. Okay. So we can, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to address that issue. So while we're going to make some changes for this year, I do think over time that would add a lot of competitive um, intensity to it. There's no doubt about it. When you think about national competitions, when you think about World Cups and Olympics, no doubt guys get up for playing for their country. Mm -hmm. And so I think this notion like the U.S. versus the world or whatever, you know, we're looking at all those concepts. But mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think this is a fixable problem. You know, again, back to this great relationship we have with our Players Association and our players. When we're sitting across from our players in the room, no one, not a single player or executive at the Players Association is sitting and saying, oh, who cares, it's an all-star game. I think everybody there is recognizing this is about our fans. The fans in the first instance are picking those all-stars. We're in the entertainment industry. There's an enormous amount of competition out there that we have to do a better job. You speak to the fans as you should. Obviously, they've been incredibly supportive of the NBA. It's an iconic global brand, but you also We've also found ourselves lamenting from time to time certain players. And we've got a situation where that wouldn't be the case with Damian Lillard, who wanted out of Portland, but had been there for a decade. It's a different animal with James Harden in the eyes of a lot of people. He wanted out of Houston. He wanted out of Brooklyn. He wanted out of Philadelphia. Uh, now he wants out of Philadelphia, rather. It could be his fourth team in the last four years, for crying out loud. When you see things like that transpire, it's one thing for Joe Public to have an opinion about that. What's the opinion coming from the league office about players, specific, not specifically him, but any player under contract that wants out? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've never made a secret out of this, you know, that there's nothing new in the league goes back to the earliest days. There are players who'd like out of their contract, and I'm sure there are teams that wish they hadn't entered into certain contracts with players. But, of course, the expectation is that everyone is going to honor their contracts. And to the extent that a player or a team is unhappy, those are issues that should be worked out behind closed doors. And that when they bubble sort of up to the surface, I think there may be more opportunities for that to happen than the old days. I don't think people are different than they were, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But now where every comment that any player or team executive says is invariably going to be picked up by someone, is then going to be published or, you know, uh, air, you know, on the internet or in some capacity, that those issues, you know, become accentuated. So I, I think that just means that we have to be even more careful, this whole community, players and teams alike, in making sure those discussions remain private. But, but again, the principle is we have a long history of guaranteed contracts in this league. There's an um, enormous number of benefits that come with these life-changing you know, huge, you know, opportunities to make this kind of money. Um, and with that comes the responsibility to honor those deals. And, and, and again, I am not won't comment on a specific situation because I've been at this a long time. I, I, I understand that from a player or team's perspective, you know, they're disappointed things didn't work out. People want change in other industries. People are able to move jobs, you know, but this is unique. You get drafted for a particular team. You get traded to a particular team. There are a lot of trade-offs that guys make as part of the system. And to the extent that players or their players association wants to change things, we should be doing that as partners behind closed doors and not letting these issues play out. But again, I don't want to be naive. There will always be a, 
anytime you and I sit down, there will always be some situation you're going to be able to point to and say, what's happening there? Why is that player out of, want out of his contract, or why is that team unhappy? And, and so we just got to manage through those situations. I want, I'd be remiss and neglecting to bring this up. The WNBA has a finals going on. I'm looking at the Liberty. I'm looking at the Aces. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing here. Um, how is the league feeling about the WNBA at this particular moment in time, particularly this finals matchup and the effect that it's had on the sport of basketball? And, and I would be remiss if I didn't remind your viewers that Game 4 is on 8 o'clock ESPN tonight oh, we're gonna do here that. at Barclays Center. Yeah, so, on and I was yeah. there Sunday, <laughs> and uh, I think it was the – like you know, highest attendance record for a WNBA playoff game. I mean, it was electric at Barclays Center. You know, home team won. You know, fans were going crazy in terms of the Liberty Aces. You know, I'm thrilled. I think uh, Kathy Engelbert, my colleague, who's the commissioner of the WNBA, is doing a fantastic job. I think, and as, as all her predecessors did, I think, you know, from the very first days of Val Ackerman um, being the president of the league, there was always that understanding that this is going to take time to build, that you can't create these kinds of traditions and leagues, you know, not only not overnight, but, but you have to take a long-term view. Again, our friend David Stern, you know, I mean, you know, amazing person and visionary, and he recognized that despite, as you re remember, it wasn't just the first year, second year. I'd say for the first 10 years of the WNBA, the question, first question whoever was running the league would get is, are you going to shut down this season? Mm. And I think David sort of maybe behind the scenes in most cases was saying, no, we're going to continue to invest in this league and we're going to continue building it. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that now. So still lots of things to improve on. I hear from players directly, you know, more charters, you know, better, uh, you know, facilities. Um, we're, we're in the process of expanding. Uh, Commissioner Engelbert just announced we're going to uh, San Francisco mm -hmm. you know, with, the, with the Warriors organization. Yeah. Um, so the, the league will invariably continue to grow. What I love seeing, I think over time, it's ultimately about the talent on the floor. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing as the WNBA continues to prosper, as well as women's college basketball, you see a larger pool of great female athletes turning to this sport. Because just like in basketball, you know, a, a lot of the best athletes, mm -hmm. you know, have it often are multi-sport players, you know, when they're younger, and then choose a, a, a sport along the way. And to the extent women are choosing to play basketball because they see there's a professional career down the road, college scholarships on top of that, we're seeing great talent. And, and again, I think the game tonight just, you know, will be another example of it. Uh, you know, great competition, great coaching, you know, a, a, but, but it's, it's going to continue to build. So I'm, I'm thrilled with what I'm seeing. Very last question, just a minute left here. Your thoughts about player involvement in the media. You got a whole bunch of guys that got podcasts now. They're speaking their minds about a lot of different things, a lot of different issues. Uh, sometimes it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, sometimes not so much. But overall, your thoughts, whether it's the Draymond Green's, or I'm not asking you to highlight a player, but just guys having media platforms and venturing into that lane, particularly while they're participants as players in the National Basketball Association. Your thoughts about that? I think it's fantastic. I, you, you know firsthand from discussions we've had for many decades, I'm, I'm very encouraging of players speaking out on issues that are important to them. I mean, of course, I want players to do their homework and be knowledgeable about issues they're speaking out on. Sort of, it, it's, it's a little bit of a joke, but it's sort of anything but just don't criticize officiating. <laughs> you know? but, so, right. and, but in all seriousness, there are guardrails. I think they recognize, and, and, and once in a while, Players will cross them in terms of language that's appropriate, um, you know, uh, uh, other societal um, places where I think 
they understand they're part of a larger organization and that what's one thing, I get the fact that some fans may be upset or that they disagree with a player's particular political point of view. I'm completely accepting of that. I think there are other areas, you know, again, more around respect and decency and things like that where, again, we just got to make sure there's, there's parameters to players doing media themselves. But part of it is they're creating companies, they're building wealth um, for themselves and their families. But lastly, I think there's this amazing hunger for it. it. It wouldn't be happening in the marketplace if fans didn't want it. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is for particular hardcore fans, they can't get enough of our players. They, and, and ultimately for the league, that demonstration that they aren't one-dimensional, that um, there's so much more to them than being ball players. They, as you said, as we move towards a third of our players who come from outside the United States, they, they, they speak about global issues. They have interests in whether it's fashion, food, you know, you, 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 know, all, all, you know, watches, whatever it is that, that, that fascinates people, that the more people learn about them, I think the more likely they are then to want to tune in and see them play basketball. Commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, honored and privileged to have you here on the show, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen A. Molly, back to you. Riveting interview. Commissioner, I want you to know First Take is available to attend the in-season tournament in Vegas. You, ju you just let us know. We'll get the crowds. We're ready to go. We're here for it. Molly, I'll see you there. Okay, see sounds you. good.